Well, this morning, if you would turn uh, with me, if you have a Bible, to Habakkuk 3. Um, we're going to finish um, our, uh, our time going through the book of Habakkuk together this morning. So Habakkuk 3, 1 through 19 is where we'll be um, this morning in the scripture. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat ahead of you, or you can follow with us on the screens, or you can quickly download the YouVersion app on your phone and read it from there. Um, the, the book of Habakkuk challenges us at a very deep level, a deeper level than um, we're maybe typically used to being challenged. Uh, anybody in the room, raise your hand if you've ever suffered hardship or pain. Anybody in the room? That's crazy. I had no idea. Thanks for sharing that with me today. And uh, I had no idea. Um, we all do, right? There, there's a hardship and pain that comes the moment you are born, that is coming your way, whether you like it or not. This world is full of hardship and pain and struggle. But there's something else. There's resolve. Now, you may know some people in life that have great and deep resolve. There are conclusions in which they have come to, in which they hold strongly to. And in these conclusions they've come to, in which they hold strongly to, there is something about them that is unshakable. I don't know if you know many of them. One I know of this I read in scripture, it's in the Psalms. There's a verse that kind of shows this kind of unshakable resolve. It's Psalm 73, verse 26. He says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. It's this moment of saying that in all of things in life, whatever shakes in right, our flesh and our heart, these are these things that shake. They hurt us and they're painful. He says, even if that shakes, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, before we get into the text, I just want to pose to you this. God is who he is. And see, this, again, this book challenges us at the level of our resolve to go at life in faith or to go at it alone, to gain righteousness or to, to, to be given a righteousness that is not of our own. This, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I just want to pose to you this. One is in this book, Habakkuk is not promised cars and riches and wealth. He's not. What we're going to find today is Habakkuk comes to a place of resolve. He says, even in the midst of my suffering, even in the midst of my pain, imminent doom that is coming my way, literal imminent doom that is coming my way, you're enough. You're good. So I just want to pose to you two scenarios. Say a man up on the stage right now, and we... We figured out a way to get in here. He's got a brand new car, and we, we say this. We say, guess what happened? This guy began to claim this new car, and he began to pray for it, and he prayed for it, and he prayed for it, and he got a new car, God answered it, and everybody goes, woo! We all start shouting, excited. Is that what you do? But imagine this. It happens all the time in here. There's someone right here in a casket. There's someone over that casket. They're crying. And in their tears, they say, God's good. He's enough. He's sufficient. He can get me through this. What's more beautiful? The casket's far more beautiful than the car. And so just so you know, the prosperity gospel is a bunch of garbage, first off. 
Because that's what their prosperity gospel says, is God gives you cars. But what the gospel says is what you really need, you really need relief from the pain and suffering of this world. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to enter your life, and I'm going to be with you in the midst of the greatest pain and struggle you can have. That is our Savior. That is what he does. He gives us what we need, not what we want, because if we got what we wanted, our life would end up in places we would never want to be. But he gives us what we need at the deepest, deepest level. So if you will, this morning, in honor and reverence of God's word, will you stand with me as we read Habakkuk 3, 1 through 19. Habakkuk 3, 1 through 19. If you will listen as I read aloud. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigeneth. O Lord, I have heard the report and work and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light Rays flashed from his hand, and there was there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, and the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from, from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed, and raging water swept on, and deep, and the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed, you threshed the nation in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the head of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret you trampled the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters I hear and my body trembles my lips quiver at the sound rottenness enters into my bones my legs tremble beneath me yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Father, we thank you for this text. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the transparency of a man's heart that you've laid out for us in this book. 
Lord, we pray and we ask that you would move the frustrations of our life to places of faith in you. And that, God, that you would give us a resolve, that you would give us faith to stand firm with you in the high places. Help us today, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this passage together, there is a picture. There's a picture in the book of Habakkuk of of, of social and societal disaster that is looming and is on the way. And so the picture of it would be like this. It would be like someone saying, God is going to come in the next few years and destroy all of America. Be ready and wait. There's nothing that's going to stop it. And that was really what was happening to the people of Israel. There was imminent danger coming for them, and it was going to happen. They had disregarded God. They had pushed him to the side. They no longer revered his word. They no longer revered his ways. They no longer revered him whatsoever at all. They disregarded God. By the way, as we've talked through this book, it is a dangerous, dangerous thing to disregard God. And I believe that there are many in this room that might even right now or have one time in your life disregarded God. It is a dangerous thing to disregard God. So they, the societal social disaster is coming. Habakkuk comes to a place where he says, no matter the circumstances, I will find joy through your love and goodness. He says, God, you will be my joy in life. So the book tells us there is a joy that is possible that extends beyond our circumstances. Right? There's a joy that is possible that extends beyond our circumstances. And again, this gospel is a gospel that meets us at our point of need of what we tr- truly need more than what we truly want in life. So Habakkuk's response in worship, 3, 1 through 19, will kind of give some exposition on this text. So the first thing that we see is that God, that, that Habakkuk's response was he accepts God's word. So he says, I have heard your report and I do fear. So he's saying, God, <clears throat> I hear what you're saying. I, I understand what's going to happen. So if you haven't been tracking with this, in, in chapters one and two, what's been going down is Habakkuk goes and, to God and says, hey, why is all this bad happening in our land? And, Habakkuk, and God says to Habakkuk, oh, Habakkuk, <laughs> you don't even know what's coming. I'm doing a work in your time that is far greater than you know, but far worse for you and your people than you know. And then Habakkuk responds kind of like this. What? Are you kidding me? You mean that, that all of the people, that there's going to be complete destruction of our land and time? God, what are you doing? And then God responds to him again. He says, Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Specifically, he says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, which was true for the Babylonians, and it was true for the people of Israel. Their souls were puffed up. They were disregarding God. But he said, but the righteous shall live by faith. And so then God goes on and the five woes that we talked about last week. We talked about these ways of society, of systematic injustice from economics to the way we treat men and women, to the way we treat our own wealth, the way we, we, we live out this faith in this world, that we should live justly, that we should live kindly, that we should love mercy. What he says is, woe to those who don't. Woe to those who disregard me in these regards. So Habakkuk responds, and he says, God, I hear you, and it scares me. In the midst of the years, and so he, he has this moment of affirmation of, okay, 
okay, I, I received this. But then he says, oh, God, don't do it. In the midst of years, revive it. Revive this thing and revive this land. Remember, he says, remember wrath. In in wrath, remember mercy. Oh, God, pour out mercy in our day in our land. If you feel that, that's like our prayer in our day in our land, isn't it? Oh, God, would you do a work in our time, in our day, in our land? Revive it. And so we see that he accepts God's word. Second thing that we see is there's this divine prophetic exclamation. In theology, we call this a theophany, right? It's this, it's this picture of God. It's this nature of who he is. It's a vision of who he is, past, present, and future, the unchanging nature of God. And what he's going to do is he's going to look back to Exodus and to the people of God coming out of Israel. And so the quick of it is this. And there's some crazy language in this, like complete destruction, cut from head to toe, all these kind of languages. God can do what he wants to do. He is strong, he is mighty, he is powerful. And so there's these kind of three main threads of this. In pestilence and plagues, you got your people out of Israel. In the shaking of the ground at Mount Sinai, you gave the people your law. And then he says, in the trampling of the sea, and in, in, in the parting of the Red Sea, you delivered your people out. And so it's a picture of the Exodus and the way in which God moves. Now, one of the key kind of concepts of who God is in, all of, in, in almost all of the festivals and rituals of the Jewish people, what did they remember? They remembered the Exodus. They remembered how God had delivered them when they were held in captivity and they were, on their, they were on their own. They were without hope. And then he raised up who? Moses. Moses, their redeemer, their deliverer, who would go and speak on their behalf and go before the Pharaoh and through the plagues and through the parting of the Red Sea, God provided them a way out of their situation in which they could not get out of on their own. And so he kind of explains this in this theophany of how God has worked in the past. But there's this word, picture of the future in verse 13. He says, that of your anointed. Speaking of one who would come. Savior of the people that would be not the first Moses, but the second Moses. The Moses who would come. That would split the sea in a way that would provide us a future that we could not provide on our own. Provide us a way to God in which we could not get to on our own. So this divine prophetic exclamation, this theophany is not just a picture of the past, but it's a picture of the future. It's also a picture of that Jesus will come one day again. He will come one day again, and with him will come judgment, and with him will come mercy. That he will redeem and rescue, but he will also judge and destroy. Because he's a God of wrath, and he's a God of mercy. He is a God not like us. He is the creator of us in which which we do not understand or know all of his ways. But what we do see is that he loves us enough that he sent his one and only son to die for us. Now, in this, there's a remembrance. And i just give you a little bit. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. I believe one of the keys to the Christian life is simply to remember. And I believe that we forget often. I believe that's why they had all the festivals because they often forgot this great work that God had done in history past. Where were the Jewish people at at this point in time, the people of Israel? They'd forgotten what God had done in the past. They'd forgotten who he was. They began to disregard him. We took communion today. Why? To remember. To remember who God is and what he does. I'll bet you this. 
If right now you're in the midst of of an affair and sitting in this room, you have forgotten God, you are no longer remembering what Jesus has done for you, and you are living in your own way down your own path. And I would imagine that if you are treating your employees at work in disregard and as machines, as the woes came in the last text, you're probably at a place when you step your foot through that door of work, you forget Jesus, you do not remember him, and you go about your own way. One of the core key concepts to living out the faith in the day-to-day is simply remembering Jesus every step and every breath you take. So some of you would say the gospel, right? We need, we need the gospel and we need everything else. No, we just need to remember the gospel. And if you read any text of scripture, even in this kind of odd book of Habakkuk, right? Tucked where most of you, if you're like me, couldn't find it because it's such a tiny book, right? If, I've said this throughout the series, if, if there's a short line in heaven to, to, to biblical authors, Habakkuk will be one of them because most people never read the book of Habakkuk. But in this little book, there's a pointing of, of hope in a Savior. Remember that God is sending his anointed. We must not forget Jesus. We must not forget God, that he has acted. He is acting, and one day he will act forever. So second, the third thing that we so we see accept God's word, the divine prophetic exclamation, his response. And the third response of Habakkuk was surrenders to God, surrenders to God's proclamation. He surrenders to God's proclamation. He says it like this, I hear it and my body trembles. The word body there, I think most translations don't put the actual word in there because it's almost too (laughs) striking. But the word body is actually the word bowels. I hear it and my bowels tremble. Shake to my core. My lips quiver to the point of visible and outward signs of fear. Rottenness enters my bones and my legs tremble. There is a depth of outward fear here in this man. And then he says, yet I will wait for the day of trouble. And in this moment, it's sort of an apex of the book. In this moment, it's the transition from his frustration to his faith. He says, God, I'm done. I surrender myself to your will and your ways. Whatever happens, happens. I will wait for the day of trouble. And then he says how he's going to do it. And that's the fourth response. He chooses to be a worshiper. He chooses to be a worshiper. Says the fig trees not blossom, nothing goes right. And in this kind of nothing going right, he does it with these kind of five F's in the bottom of this text. And I'm used to five F's. I got many of them when I was in school. Uh, But he says, the fig fruit fail, fields flock. He says, the fig tree should not blossom, the fruit not be on the vines, everything fails. Fields yield no food, flock cut off from the fold, literal desolation. Nothing is working, nothing is right, everything is failing. Samuel shared this like this morning when he was sharing about his story. He said, you, don't, you know that there's actual pain with hunger. 
This is the kind of thing he's speaking of. This, this moment in life where there's no food, there's no hope, there's nothing. <clears throat> and he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Now, here's a second key. If you're, again, only remember two things. Remember this. Remember and repetition. Notice in this, if, if, if God had his prophets edited by some collegiate editor, one of the things that he would say is, stop the redundancy. It's a little silly, right? Like, why would you write it like this, Habakkuk? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Take out the second part because you already said that you're going to rejoice in the Lord. Like, why say it two times? The reason in Scripture, if you've ever read through any of Scripture, just little bits, what do we see over and over and over? Repetition. Things are stated over and over and over again. Why do they, why are they repeated? Because they're important. If you watched me parent my children, what you would hear is a broken record. And my wife even more so. Anyway, some of you are like, oh, that's bad. He just, he just offended his wife. Uh, no, but we do this, right? We repeat things because they're important. And here, he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. This is a willful moment of choice saying, this is what I'm going to do. We do not have to be tossed to and fro by our feelings. In this moment, his feelings were saying everything but rejoice. But he said, although all of this stuff is going to come, even though everything will lose, I am going to take joy in God. Nothing more, nothing less. God is my hope. David did this frequently. You'll say, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope is found in him. He sounds like a crazy man talking to his soul. He says, soul, find rest in God. Because you want to find rest in all kinds of places, but he is the only place that we can really find it. So soul, get after God. Soul, find rest in God. So he chooses to be a worshiper. Rejoice in the Lord. Take joy in my salvation. means to treasure, to savior, to lead ourselves to truth. And the truth is that God is the only place where joy will ever be found in this life. Then he says, and I'm going to walk with my feet firm from the best view there is. He says, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. See, if you ever have been anywhere where you've had to climb up to a good view, it's pretty hard to get there. A few years ago when I was in college, I, was, <clears throat> uh, I spent a summer in Anchorage, Alaska, and outside of Anchorage, is, there's, there's uh, the highest, it's the O'Malley Peak. It's uh, one of the highest peaks outside of Alaska. And I had this idea, I'd been reading through the Bible, and God meets people on top of mountains, right? And I'm 22 years old, and I'm thinking, I'm going to climb a high mountain, and maybe I will have this, like, moment, like Moses and Jesus on top of a mountain. And so, um, silly or whatever, it was a lot of work. And so, me and a buddy went to go up it, and so the first leg of it, we're going up, <clears throat> and it's the little, little O'Malley, so not a big deal, right? And it's straight up, and it, it, there's no rocks, or it's just a path, and it's straight up. And so we're walking, and we're exhausted, and our calves are on fire. And there's this little old lady and her husband, and they just keep making ground on us. And I looked at Joe, and I'm like, Joe, dude, we can't let them beat us. 
And we start walking. And my calves are on fire. My legs are burning. And they're just trucking up. They got their canes. They're just trucking up. And we're just like, got to go. Got to go harder. I got to get up this thing. Well, we just were like, forget it. They're going to beat us. They must do this every day because they're much better shape than us. Like, we gave all these reasons why they beat us. Anyway, they, and so we climbed up to that, and then we climbed up to the next. And I'll just tell you, one, I, I got to the top of the mountain, to, just so you know. I, I got to the top of the mountain, and, and I remember thinking, okay, God, boom, what's going to happen? And nothing fantastic really happened. But then I looked out, and just over the horizon, I saw Denali. And, and I saw it just peeking up over the top of the clouds. And then I looked over across the bay and I saw the Ghost Mountain Range. And then I looked over the other way and I saw the Chugach Mountain Range in, in snow peaked, in the middle of summer, snow capped peaks as far as I could see. And I felt about this big. And God did do something in my life that day climbing that mountain. And what he did was he gave me a vantage point to see how magnificent God is and how incredibly small I am. <clears throat> See, I had a great view from where I was at, but I, I believe in our soul, there's this view that we can move to. You can climb to the, to the valleys, and you can live there, and a lot of people love to. They're the people that, even on a sunny day, you say, man, today is a nice day. And they go, yeah, but it's probably going to rain tomorrow. Man, <clears throat> This soup is so good. Oh, two days ago, I had the worst soup I've ever ate in my whole life. There's just a way to keep in the valley. But there's a choice we can make. And the view from here, it's hard to get to. It's not easy. That Staying in the valley is easy. Staying in the valley is easy. You call yourself a realist. You're just negative, Right? But there's a vantage point from the heights. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Might we go to the higher places in life? And this is what Habakkuk chose to do. He's going to go to the higher places. And he wants to find a vantage point from the heights. And that's not an easy place to climb to. But the view is far better than the view from the valley. And so we see Habakkuk's response in worship. He accepts God's word. He gives a divine prophetic exclamation of God in past, present, and future. He surrenders to God's proclamation, and he chooses to be a worshiper. So what's our response to the book of Habakkuk? Quickly. We see in the beginning, it says the oracle of the prophet Habakkuk. It says the, the word oracle is burden, the burden of the prophet Habakkuk. We often think of burdens as bad things. I would, I would I pose to you early on this question, and this, I don't believe that burdens are necessarily a bad thing. Again, Samuel, you have a burden that children that were just like you could have hope and a future in Jesus and would not have to continue to live in poverty. The guy's standing down here today and goes, yeah, we're doing a lot of good work, and the, the numbers of what Compassion is doing is insane because we got to get to a million. We got to get, like, I mean, it's just like we got to go further. We got to get more because there's a burden on his heart and life. We said that the Bacchic had a worthy burden. And the challenge was do we have worthy burdens in our lives? Do we have worthy burdens in our lives 
that when we, pain, when, we, when we pin up against God, this is what concerns me and what troubles me. Does it hold the weight that it ought? The second was to embrace a path of righteousness. It says that the righteous shall live by faith. Is the road that I'm on a path of, of righteousness, of seeking after the goodness and glory of God? Third was to disregard, we talked about this last week, to disregard a lifestyle of injustice, taking advantage of, being indifferent toward the brokenness of this world, and living justly, believing that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea, believing that the Lord is in his holy temple, and all the earth stands silent before him. Recognizing that we live moment by moment, day by day, in the entirety of our life before the living God. And the fourth today, I believe our response to the book of Habakkuk would be simply this that we choose to worship. That we choose to worship. I will rejoice in the Lord and take joy in the God of my salvation. And I don't believe this is formulaic. But I believe these things must happen, must happen for a life to genuinely and truly worship God. One, we must accept God's word. We must believe his word to be the authoritative truth in our lives. We don't get to make it up. We don't get to change it. We don't get to read our Bibles with an eraser. God's word is what it is. He is who he is. And we must wrap ourselves around his word rather than trying to, trying to kind of impose his word on our wants and dislikes and prove it that way. We must accept God's word. What he has said is true and has authority. Second, we must understand the past and future and the power and the holiness of God that we must recognize that God is a God of history past and a God of history future, and he has been very, very clear in who he is and what he loves and what he hates and what he is for and what he is against. Third, we must surrender to God's will. And Jesus speaks to this frequently, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. Fig, the fruit... They all may fail, fields and flock. But we, we choose faith even in fear. So you know, fear is okay. But it is not okay if it stops you from being faithful to God. Habakkuk was a man who had fear. But his fear did not hinder him in his faithfulness. And then last... We make a decision to rejoice. A decision on where our strength will rest. Where our, will our strength rest in ourselves or will it rest in God? So this morning, I believe that God is calling us to be a people of resolve. A people of resolve that have made an undying commitment to saying that I will rejoice and trust in my God no matter what. And no matter what comes at work or at home or in my community or in society, if I am rejected, if I am loved, if I am hated, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. 
we must resolve in these attributes, that he is righteous and good, that he cares for those he loves, that he punishes the wicked, that he is at work in this world, that he desires to use us for his great purposes, his great purposes of his grace covering the earth as the water covers the sea. The Lord is in his holy temple. Might all the earth stand in silence before him. People of resolve who say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So I'm going to ask you to do something different as we conclude this series today. This morning, if you've had a great trial surrounding you, and you have genuinely felt a great deal of frustration in your life. Anybody ever felt any frustration in your life? Raise your hand. I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand. Those of you who feel this great frustration right now, pain, hardship, struggle, and we want to pray over you today. I believe that prayer changes things, and I believe sometimes standing up to admit that we need prayer is simply a way of saying, God, I've resolved that my hope is found in you. And by standing, you're, going to, you're saying, I, I desire, I want, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You're saying, God, help my frustration move to faith. So maybe here's some scenarios. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And maybe this is a struggle that you're overcoming. I know this one well. I wish my story was one where I haven't had great loss of ones that I deeply love in my life. But that is not my story, nor that is my life. And those are some of the most shaking things that happen, aren't they? Maybe there's a child that is making decisions that is bringing struggle in your life, and you just, you need prayer for you. You need prayer for that child. Maybe you're experiencing financial problems personal or family or friends, illnesses, marriage. Maybe it's your marriage or a marriage of someone you know and love deeply that is struggling. Maybe it's our land and the corruption of our day. Anything that is deeply troubling you, that deeply overwhelms you, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as a statement to God saying that you will remember who he is and what he has done. That you choose to rejoice through your struggle, to choose to walk in the high places but rather than to live in the valleys. So I'm going to ask you, those who are there today, to stand. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these who have stood today in a statement of resolve saying they want to tread in the high places. They want to find their faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help them in their frustration. Help them in their trial. Help them in their struggle. Lord, help them to find trust through this season in you and you alone. Jesus, you are the one who said that you would come and be with us in our darkest hour. You are the great physician. You are the great healer. You are the one who restores, who renews, who washes, who cleanses. 
So whether they're standing on behalf of someone else or standing on behalf of themselves, whether they're standing in the midst of their trial, Lord, I pray that you would come and that you would meet them right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, fall upon them freshly today. Bring healing, bring renewal. Bring in them only what you can. Help us to be a people, God, that tread in the high places. Because we declare to you today with resolve that we will rejoice in the Lord, that we will find joy in the God of our salvation. Cover these, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing, and those who aren't, stand. We're going to sing a song. These altars are always open for you to come, to kneel and to pray. Pray for others around you. But might this conclusion this of our time together Might God continue to resolve in us what needs to be resolved before we leave too quickly. Let's sing together.